We welcome you into another episode of Automotive Insiders. I'm Jason Stein, host of SiriusXM's Cars and Culture on Business Channel 132. It's true that auto suppliers have more opportunities now than they've had for years, but with some automakers rolling out ICE, EV, and hybrid versions of the same vehicle, the number of programs that suppliers need to manage has become overwhelming for many. And that supplier pressure isn't letting up. In fact, Dave Opsahl, CEO at Actify, points to data that shows the number of vehicle launches will increase by at least 50% in the next three years. He says a critical issue for suppliers is having only two weeks to decide whether or not to bid on a project. Because of that time constraint, there's a bit of guesswork by suppliers that goes into the OEM bids. Those bids can fetch much smaller production runs too. Think 20,000 units today versus 100,000 just a few years ago. Add the constant concern of labor shortages into the mix, and suppliers that once saw profit margins of 9% are looking at less than half that amount today. What Opsal and Actify preach is cooperation between suppliers and OEMs. That's especially true now that some suppliers are deciding to sit out of bids entirely. In fact, the reality of new OEM competitors popping onto the scene has provided suppliers with something they haven't had before. They have options. The auto industry is evolving. Let's see if supplier-OEM relations can evolve along with it. Dave Opsal joins me on this week's episode of Automotive Insiders. Dave, welcome into Automotive Insiders. A pleasure to have you on the program today. Glad to be here, Jason. Let's talk about the challenges around program management and really how those challenges affect suppliers' ability to execute on what are some significant increases in programs because of the topic that everybody wants to talk about and is talking about, which is, of course, electric vehicle models that are coming. Sure. And I know you have a point of view on this, and let's talk about maybe what doesn't get as much attention as batteries or rare earth materials or software-defined vehicles. But let's talk about the supplier perspective on production. Sure. What's your point of view on that, Dave? Well, we think that uh, the electric vehicle push has created pressures in the supplier community and that a lot of those pressures are not really recognized by the OEMs the way that they should. Uh, And that really sort of comes out in the increase in the number of programs overall. So, for instance, uh, depending on which research institution you believe anywhere from 50% to 66% is the increase in the number of programs, the number of launches that is going to occur in the next three years. And, you know, you're in an industry where already labor shortages are producing some challenges, and it's making it very hard for the suppliers to accommodate a lot of the requests coming from their OEM customers. So uh, a good example of that is you can pick a model that has multiple versions. So you may have the same, like a Toyota Highlander might come in both an internal combustion version, a hybrid version, and eventually an EV version. So for the same vehicle, you now have what amounts to three different vehicles. And every one of those is a program that has to get launched. And the amount of resource it takes to do that is roughly the same for each program for the same commodity type. So a lot lot of programs. Yeah, Yeah, a lot of programs to manage. And not all of them profitable, right? Given the amount of low volume that some may be be facing in the future. 
Yeah, it's it's kind of an interesting dynamic in a, in a way. You know, they uh, the suppliers typically uh, the challenge that they have is they're given such a short amount of time to come up with a firm contractual commitment. So they have to determine generally in about two weeks time what commitment they're going to make if they're going to bid on something to what the price delivery and margin is on on that particular program. And the challenge for them has been that in the past, when you had fewer vehicles, you still had the same kind of level of demand in the marketplace, but you know they would occur with fewer models. So those production runs tended to be a lot longer. You might be talking about 100,000 vehicles over a period of a few years versus, say, maybe 20,000 that might be possible today. You know, the OEMs have figured out that they can segment the market and by introducing variations on those models, they can be more competitive in that market. But it creates a challenge for the suppliers because in that two week time, when you've made that commitment, you're now going to take the next six to 12 months to figure that out. How are you actually going to do it? Right. So there's a certain amount of estimation, in some cases, guesswork that even goes on. And so, you know, suppliers have a portfolio of these. Some of them, you know, are not going to be as profitable as the others. Uh, and that reduction in the number of vehicles for a particular model is putting a lot of downward pressure on that as well. So you tend to see that in the margins that, you know, uh, the suppliers are achieving these days. It's down from around 9% a few years ago to around 3.5%. It's the last figure I saw. So they're sitting here trying to figure out how they're going to manage this portfolio of programs. And one thing we're seeing that's really interesting is they're having choices that they didn't used to have. That increase in the number of programs is giving them more opportunity to decide what business do I really want to bid on? And where the OEMs are coming up short in that particular situation is, is that some of the pliers are simply deciding not to bid. So if I've got a new model I want to introduce and I'm having trouble finding a supplier to make that for me because it's either, you know, uh, indeterminate in terms of whether or not I can make profit on that as a supplier or it just doesn't fit what I want to do anymore. And now they're going to have to be looking at someplace else. And that's both in part because of the increase in the number of models, but it's also you've got new competitors in the marketplace now. Dave, it's amazing. Uh, so many things changed during COVID, but I think you and I would have never banked on the fact that suppliers would have, would be in the driver's seat and that effectively suppliers would be able to be more choosy. Yeah. Yeah. I would not have predicted that <laughs> not at all. So OEMs also have to understand that this is a brave new world and that right. there is a greater need for cooperation. Tell yes. me- Tell me how that cooperation should be or could play out in the future. The, the thing that's always puzzled me is, is that when you look at the production side, which is mostly what we're concerned about, you know, suppliers are really, you know, about production, you know, at, at a profitable level and meeting right. the schedule. Okay. But for them, you know, the, uh, uh, the production side is an orchestrated dance. So if I'm a supplier, generally I am shipping parts to the point of assembly just in time, just as they're needed. And that all occurs because there's a set of standards that exist for how that transaction information actually gets shared between companies. You know, and, and it works splendidly. It works very, very well. 
But if you look at the, you know, the design side or the uh, engineering side, the front end of that process, there are no standards for that. There are some standards in terms of the process itself. APQP determines some of that. You have a PPAP process, you know, at a key juncture in that. But there's variations even from OEM to OEM and how those are applied. So suppliers have some challenges there because it isn't the same workflow process from OEM to OEM. It's different. Okay, The standards don't exist for how you exchange data. So that is the place that they could actually do a lot better on in terms of cooperation. And part of being able to do that effectively is being able to understand everything about the program and how every task, every role is all connected. And today they don't have that ability. And you have a theory that if the OEMs continue to simultaneously try to meet these ambitious plans while bringing new models to market and continue to push suppliers, mm -hmm. the supply chain is going to implode. Well, I think what, what you're finding is, is that they're trying to continue to put that downward pressure on the suppliers, both in terms of price okay, and schedule. Yep. And that's, you know, there's only so far you can turn that lever before things just go a little bit nuts. So you're seeing some of that today. A lot of the suppliers that are, you know, make to print suppliers, they generally don't deal with complicated, you know, manufacturing techniques. They are the ones at the bottom of that margin column. And you're seeing a lot of M&A activity where companies are being acquired because they're just not being run efficiently at that level. And, you know, a little bit more of that goes on and you, you generally are going to have trouble having you know, sufficient supply base in order to be able to meet, meet the launch schedules of the OEMs. And I, I do see that. Yeah. So could this be a breaking point, a watershed moment, if you will, in the relationship in that if OEMs are going to succeed and suppliers are going to succeed, this two-tier two system that we have lived with forever yep. has to change. Yes. It has to be more of a strategic approach where all suppliers, and we've talked about preferred suppliers for years, yep. but all suppliers are really figured into the equation. Right, Dave? Yeah. The, the supply base, I think, needs to be looked at a little differently by the OEMs these days. And I think in order to do that, you know, they need to be you know, focused on a few areas. There's already conversations going on about how are we going to handle, you know, price spikes in materials? You know, that was a situation brought on COVID that we have not seen, you know, before. But is that the only place that they can cooperate? Absolutely not. You know, just in terms of executing the program, you know, if you think about what that relationship really looks like, the OEM is asking the supplier to be an outsourced manufacturer of something they've determined what it is. You know, and so the supplier's job is really just execute against that. Even if they're doing some of the design work as part of it, they're still not the ones determining what are the you know performance characteristics of that. You know, what is it that it needs in order to be able to meet its quality standards? That's all determined by the OEM. So the supplier needs to have you know a robust business in order to be able to fulfill that role. And if you continue to squeeze it like that, it's it's just not going to happen. There are places that they can cooperate without losing the tension that's in that relationship, but not if they keep going the way they're going today. Is everyone going to get it? Is it, is it, do you predict a sea change in this relationship or are we going to struggle and talk a year from now or still have the same issues? 
I, I think there will, it, it's not going to be resolved in a year. It's a conversation that's going to start. It will take a few years to play out. But, you know, the OEMs will start to realize that if they, you know, work in areas that don't necessarily immediately determine price and margin, they can help the suppliers be healthier and serve them better. You know, one way would be to just make sure that there's a completely cohesive view of what's the state of the program at any point during that start of production launch phase. You know, they, they need to share that information. And today, there's none of that that's shared at all. There's no visibility. It's basically a manual exercise for the OEM dunning the supplier for status information on what's going on. And the suppliers are sitting there flying blind most of the time as they get spooled up for production. Once you're in production, you smooth out any of the variations and then you know, you're, you're kind of set. But that startup period, that six to 12 months is where the suppliers figure out, am I actually gonna make money on this or am I gonna lose money on it? Well, on that 14-day window that you talked about earlier, it's kind of crazy to think that so much hinges on that. Yeah, isn't it though? And you know, you think about how do you actually come up with a rational way of estimating that? You know, and today, you know, there's no program history that people maintain. It's all in the heads of the people that are involved in the program management side of things. And when you have what I'd argue is the second most complicated manufacturing business. Okay. Second only to probably aerospace and defense. Right. You know, the automotive industry has something that industry doesn't have, and it's called volume. Right. 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 Yeah. They need to figure this out. Well, wonderful conversation. Dave, thank you so much for shedding light on what is, well, I called it earlier, a sea change likely within the industry. I really appreciate you being on Automotive Insiders. Well, I'm grateful to have a chance to share the point of view. Thank you. That's this episode of Automotive Insiders. Remember to follow the program wherever your favorite podcast appears. And thanks again to my guest, Dave Opsall, CEO at Actify. And thanks for listening to Automotive Insiders. I'm Jason Stein. We'll talk to you again next time. Mm-hmm.